LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. My name is Daniel Lim, and I'm here with Todd Atkins. <laughs> well, as you likely noticed at the top of this episode, some new music, new music, a little bit of a, you know, radio tuning kind of thing. And, and that basically announces the fact that we have launched the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Yes. So this has been something that's been coming for a time. A long time. Yeah. We've been excited it about it. I mean, you know, it, it makes sense that we would really pull together. I mean, we, we are content producers, but we also um, like to coordinate content and like to curate content, the best leadership content that we can find. Mm-hmm. And so we came alongside a couple other podcasts that we know and love. And one brand new one that's just launching, which is J.D. Greer's podcast, Ask Me Anything. Um, definitely encourage you to check that one out, but also just some things that you might not come across. Uh, so we've pulled those together. There's uh, several. Do you want me to talk about this? Yeah, let's do it. All right. This podcast is called The One Thing. Now it's an Aussie podcast and is very uh, focused on Australia and churches in Australia. And it is one of my favorite podcasts, not just because they have great accents, but because it's super practical and they're talking about some of the things that, that we would find very meaningful, as well as just getting a unique perspective on those things. And it will challenge you to think in a different way. And they just do one thing per episode and go into it pretty deep. Yeah. So if you're interested to see all the other podcasts that are a part of our network, you can go to leadership.lifeway.com slash podcasts with an S at the end, and you'll be able to see the obviously the five leadership questions one, the new churches Q&A, Ask Me Anything with J.D. Greer, the established church, Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, Group Answers, and The One Thing. Well, without further ado, let's go into the interview with Caleb. Uh, we are joined today by a friend that uh, we've gathered with on a time or two, especially when we're on the West Coast, which Contrary to popular belief, I would say not is not the best coast, but that's just my opinion. It's controversial already. Uh, it's going to be a controversial episode. West Coast. It's going to be a It's going to be a controversial episode. All right, fine. You're uh, you're an East guy though. That's true. Yeah, I'm not an East guy. I'm a mountain guy. A mountain guy. But then a you Kentucky spent a Hills and in, Hollers guy. Yeah, but then you spent a lot of time in DC. In DC, so. Atlantic. We call that the Atlantic. That's why I tie an Atlantic knot in my tie. But that is for another day and another time. Perhaps sometime I'll do a 90-second leadership on how to tie an you Atlantic should. knot. You know how many people have commented on your tie? A lot. It's pre- yeah, it's pretty nice. I should do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, but we are joined today by, I did mention we had a friend on, uh, Caleb Kaltenbach. I just I'm felt glad like... glad you pulled out the guttural. I did. I wanted to emphasize the Germanness of his heritage. Guten Tag, Caleb <laughs> I think that was more Austrian. You were, I don't know. He is my, from California. My so college pastor his, is German Korean. Okay. So, you know, we got a lot of German from him. That's all right. He, you know, there's <laughs> their former governor out there was an Austrian, <laughs> right? Arnold. You, you pulled more of an Arnold than a German. I, I did. <laughs> well, welcome, Caleb. You can come out of your silence right there. No, thank you. I'm just taking it all in. And, um, 
I wouldn't say, expect anything less from somebody from Kentucky. <laughs> there um, you go. You I spent mean, you time in Kentucky. Kentucky. No, I didn't. I thought you did. I thought Asbury no, was. From, no, no, I didn't go to Asbury. I, I went to uh, Talbot School of Theology and uh, got my doctorate at Dallas Theological. Um, but I think I was, I was from Missouri, uh, not much better than Kentucky, but it's definitely a step up. <laughs> it's fine. I think you probably just offended a lot of people there, but that's okay. That's, that's Missouri. Okay. So do you know, Caleb, why they say Missouri? Um, I think because they're wrong. <laughs> there you go. It is a show me I, state. I, it is the show me state. It's the prove me state. And I know, you know, we've, we tried to do this before and we offended, we would have offended a lot of people with that. But I think that when, uh, when Todd said that my coast is not the best coast, he pretty much offended millions of people right there. So, I mean, we're off to a good start. Uh, that's true. I didn't say what country. Cause we have listeners. We just got back from Australia not too long ago. And the Gold Coast could have been the Gold Coast that was offending. All right, let's get into it. Wow. All right, Messy Grace so, is Caleb. Caleb's book. It's awesome. You should read it. Caleb's known for multiple things like tweeting and getting people upset at Starbucks and making people uh, hate Costco. Make people hate Costco, all kinds of things. Um, anything else you want to tell us about yourself, Caleb? I am terrified of peacocks. There you go. Me too. What? Yeah. What did a peacock ever do to you? They will chase oh, you, I, bro. It did. They're they're evil. They're demons. Um, when I was a kid, a little kid, my uh, babysitter's next door neighbor had a peacock farm, and they used to chase us around the backyard when we'd play. And uh, ever okay, since then, I, I have a phobia of peacocks. And they uh, their call is ominous, especially if you don't know where they are and it's dark. No, no, it, it's, it, you might as well, I mean, just end everything there because you're not getting out alive at nighttime with a peacock. No, I still carry a knife everywhere I go to this day just because of that. Okay, so, Messy Grace, <laughs> I'm trying to rein us in, God of Tomorrow, Caleb is a pastor, author, speaker, famous for making Costco get angry, but we can leave that for another episode. But today we, we, I mean, you have a fascinating story, Caleb, on the back of your book, Messy Grace, it says it, it I'll, I'll just read what it says. Caleb Kaltenbach was raised by LGBT parents, marched in gay pride parades as a youngster and experienced the hatred and bitterness of some Christians toward his family. But then Caleb surprised everyone by becoming a Christian and a pastor. So question one, you were raised by LGBT parents. What was that like? Uh, it was my reality. I don't know how else to describe it. It uh, seemed normal to me until I started going to school and nobody else had three gay parents. I was the only one whose dad was gay and who had two moms. And so it was fine on the one hand, but it was definitely different. I could tell it was different. I didn't tell anybody that I really went to school with until I got to high school. Um, but my mom and Vera raised me, take me with them when I was young to uh, gay bars and parties and campouts and pride parades. And so that, that was just the environment that I was, that I was raised in. So how did that, I mean, you know, as you, as you grew up, uh, I mean, that, that obviously was your reality, but, but when did it kind of hit you that the majority of your friends 
or maybe it, it wasn't, but a lot of other people that wasn't their reality. Like when did that kind of sink in for you? Probably when I was in the second grade and started going to a lot of birthday parties at my friends' houses and none of them had gay parents. And I just thought to myself, wow, I'm different. And I started hearing jokes that people would make, uh, even in elementary school, about uh, people who identified as LGBTQ, you know, who were gay or lesbian. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to fly underneath the radar with this because I do not uh, want to be the, the catalyst for a bunch of jokes in my school. So, I mean, probably about the second grade, I realized that things were different. Yeah. So then how did that, I mean, how long do, do you just not tell that to anyone? Like, how did that affect your identity forming years, you know, as, as you, yeah, just what, it, I mean, teenage years, I mean, any teenagers, it's, you know, it's difficult to be a teenager in and of itself, but how did that kind of affect the way that you communicated about yourself, how you related with others and, and everything? Well, I, you know, I didn't invite anybody over to my house or anything like that. That was never something that I did. And, um, when I was, when I was in upper elementary school, maybe fifth, sixth grade, I remember my parents had me march in this gay pride parade, mom and Vera. And at the end of this parade, there were all these Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you, turn or burn. And when people from the parade would go try to speak with these Christians, they would get sprayed with water and urine. I looked at my mom and I said, why are they acting like that? And she said, Caleb, they're Christians. Christians hate gay people. If you're not like them, they will not like you. And that just kind of started a chain reaction. Whereas by the time I was in high school, uh, before I was a Christian, when I was a sophomore in high school, I just told people my parents were gay and I didn't even care because there was such a sense of injustice inside of me for how they were treated uh, by other people, especially by Christians, uh, in my mind. So what was that like then when you did commit your life to Christ? Maybe share, share a bit of your story. Yeah. So I got invited to go to this high school Bible study led by a high schooler. And I thought this is going to be perfect. I'm going to go and be a pretend Christian and learn about the Bible and then dismantle it. And I remember at the age of 16, I had never stepped foot in a Christian or a household before. And I walked in and God bless these people. They were awesome, but it looked like they had raided a Bible bookstore and just picked it up and dropped it. They had the, the potpourri smell and they had the nasty testaments, which tastes like a cross between peppermint and cyanide. And they had all the <laughs> Christian decor on the wall. And I just leaned to my friend. I'm like, why do these people have framed pictures of sheep and lions that they don't own? I went downstairs. We started studying the Bible. Everybody's reading out of First Corinthians. And I got lost. So I read a verse about somebody getting impaled from First Chronicles. And... They ended up saying, well, Caleb, you know, you're, you're in the Old Testament. And I'm like, so there's a new one. There's updated 2.0. I had no clue. And I guess the more that I learned, the more that I studied, the more that I saw that Jesus was different. And I came to the point where I was like, Christians are a little weird. And I still think that, but I can say that today because I is one. Um, but at the same time, man, I just can't explain it. I just thought, man, Jesus, he's different. Well, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, a couple other questions. So how does this affect your marriage and parenting today? I mean, you know, a lot of us 
when we uh, will we'll catch ourselves saying the same stuff our parents did that drove us nuts. Uh, I I have a running dialogue of things I say and do that I you know thought I would never never do. Um, but how does this? I mean, how did this affect your marriage and parenting today? Well, you know, my wife is a Latina, and she is a Mexican, but comes more from Spaniard background. So a lot of people think that she's Caucasian and she's Latina, though. And before we dated, I was trying to pursue her and ask her out. And she said, I don't know. I've never dated somebody who's Caucasian before, you know. So, you know, are are you kind of diverse in your thinking? And I said, well, I was raised by three gay parents. I think that counts for something. (laughs) And she said, yeah. And so um, we got together and got, you know, got married. Uh, my mother's partner died soon after we got married, just a few months. She died from cancer. They've been together 22 years. But my mom never, ever really liked Amy, my wife. And Amy is a, a sweet, sweet lady. Uh, but she never liked her, uh, never really has to this day. My dad, it's been okay. My dad's always been very, very secretive. Uh, but having to explain at a young age to my kids um, about grandma and grandpa, I've had to have that conversation more than once. And it's definitely been interesting, especially as they're getting in upper elementary school. My son is starting middle school and he's hearing what some other kids say about LGBTQ stuff. And so I've, I've found myself having to be really, really intentional about what I say, uh, how I tell them to love people, but at the same time, hold firmly to their biblical convictions. So in, in your leadership then, talk to us about the the, the church that you pastor, the, the way that you lead? I mean, how does, uh, how does your personal story and the way that you grew up uh, uh, affect your everyday leadership and, and the lens in which you view leadership? I think that's a, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, when I wrote Messy Grace, I, I wanted it to not only be a memoir or even a book about, uh, for lack of a better phrase, homosexuality. I wanted it to be a book about how to empathetically love people without uh, sacrificing your theological convictions. Um, Because I personally believe that uh, our theology should drive us to dialogue with people and that a theological conviction is never a catalyst to devalue another human being. And do you think Um, that's because early on you, there were like Christians weren't wanting to dialogue with your parents and the LGBTQ plus community? I never had a Christian, I never met a Christian or heard my parents talk about a Christian that wanted to dialogue with my parents. And again, this was back in the eighties. And I'm not saying that they didn't exist. I think that, you know, uh, empathetic people uh, with strong biblical and moral convictions have always been around. There's always been like this remnant. I think we have more now than we have in a while, but back in the eighties, I don't remember my parents ever hearing of any, I don't remember any of that. And really, when I went to this Bible study, Daniel, that is what did it for me. It's not only Jesus was different, but here are these Christians, and they're not like the people on the street corners. They're not like the parents that are ignoring their sons who are dying from AIDS. Uh, Or maybe today we'd say they're not like the cray-cray on social media, right? They are different. And it's not only Jesus, but it's the example of these people really drew me in. I think we really underestimate how much other people base their view of God off of how we treat them 
and what our personal character is. That's good. What what other ways have you found that it's affected your leadership? Because I, I see that connection there, you know, in your desire to dialogue, the absence of it when uh, you interacted with other Christians. But uh, I mean, where, where else do you see it coming out in your leadership? So I stepped away from my church uh, last August, August 2017. And since then, I have been working with organizations and schools, colleges and seminaries, but especially churches. And there are so many churches when it comes to engaging society, uh, which is what my book, God of Tomorrow, is all about, or engaging with the LGBTQ plus community or having uh, people who identify as LGBTQ or their same sex attracted in their orientation when they attend their churches. So many uh, church staff and elder boards and deacon boards and pastors, they want to do the right thing, but they usually end up you know, kind of giving into a false dichotomy that our world has created. They either dig their heels over here uh, in the truth side where they alienate people, or they just surrender their biblical convictions and uh, change their orthodoxy so that there's no tension. But then they end up not having the impact that they would have if they would have just stayed in that tension. So what I do right now is I travel around and I help churches and organizations build policies that created uh, a, a safe place, a dialogue uh, place where people can belong before they believe, uh, where they can engage the church or the organization while that church or organization also holds firmly to its biblical beliefs. And so I do that kind of at every age level, governance and staff level. So why do you think churches are so reluctant to engage the LGBTQ plus community? Because they don't want to get clobbered. Because you're going to, you can get clobbered by two sides, right? You can get clobbered by society for saying that you are uh, just, you're, you're uncaring, you're unloving, you don't care about people, you're an old, you know, fundamentalist or whatever, and you just get pummeled on depending on, you know, what happens. But then on the other side, some of the times, and I'm sure both of you have experienced this, if you appear that you're so loving, even though you're holding on to your convictions, the more loving that you appear, you can also run the risk of getting clobbered by the Christian community. And so I think there's a reluctance, some of the Christian community, but I think there's a reluctancy to engage and really think through this and live within that tension. Because when you're a bridge, you know, between, you know, two communities, and when you choose to be that bridge, you're going to be walked over by both uh, sides. You're going to take arrows from both sides. And I just think there are a lot of people who are a little gun shy and they don't want to be seen as affirming, but they also don't want to get pummeled on by society. And so I think that a lot of people give into this fear of a false dichotomy. As you address churches, as you help them uh, in, in in this ministry, what are what are some things that you typically teach uh, churches to be able to navigate through, uh, you know, potentially being clobbered by both sides by addressing this fear of engagement or fear of stepping out? Um, yeah, what are some of the things that you teach churches? Well, I, I, I start with um, asking a lot of questions because I think the best thing that you can do when you're in a new context is to ask questions. And especially from an outsider, you know, the questions help people, as you guys well know, process things and, and think through things in a new way. 
Um, and then I kind of go through uh, some of my basic principles, you know, that there's a big difference between acceptance and approval, that acceptance is more about empathy, but approval is agreement. And we, I think it's almost a biblical mandate to accept people and to love them no matter what, no matter who they are, what they've done. But that doesn't mean we have to agree with every life choice uh, because real love is built on acceptance, not agreement. And too often our society uh, is telling people that acceptance and approval are the same thing. And so if somebody doesn't agree with your life choice to be in a same-sex relationship or to look for a same-sex relationship, then you need to ostracize and alienate that person. I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, you know, this young individual had basically cut off ties with his parents because they didn't agree with him. They didn't kick him out. They weren't rude, but they didn't agree with him. He cut off communication. He said, well, if they don't accept me, I'm just going to cut off communication. I said, do you realize that's how cults act? That you're acting like a cult member right now. You should just go out and start your own cult because that's what you're doing. I mean, what you're afraid of them doing to you, you're doing to them. You're forcing wow. them back in the same closet that you uh, just came out of. And I think you need to be careful about that. So I teach that there's a difference between acceptance and approval. And then we start getting into systems and processes and uh, we'll evaluate their theology if we need to. Um, just a whole myriad of different systems and processes that we've set up. Wow. I, lo- I love that distinction between acceptance and approval. Um, do, do you have any other... I mean, what? Help, help me more, <laughs> because uh, I mean that was gold right there. What are some other things that you teach when you kind uh, of? I would say that that um, when somebody tells you that they are LGBTQ plus, that you've got to understand that the main component of them telling you that is that it's an identity issue more than it is a sexual sin issue. Now, is there sexual sin involved? Absolutely there is. Um, and in some cases there aren't. There are a lot of uh, lesbian couples as they get older, they're not sexually intimate anymore. Um, but there's probably still issues of codependency. And this is primarily an identity issue. And when we treat an identity issue primarily as a sexual sin issue, then we eventually end up shaming the person and we push them to the side and we put them in a penalty box and Sometimes we don't even realize it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have conversations on holy living. Absolutely, we should. But we've got to understand that it's an identity issue. We've got to help them identify with Christ first and foremost. And then as they do that, we have the credibility as we invest in them and the influence to be able to speak about holy living. I also teach things like value God's words over society's latest trends. Um, you know, I, I, you know, when, when, they come to me and especially parents within the church I'm working with or staff members who have uh, children who are going to be married to somebody of the same gender, you know, they say, should I attend this wedding? Should I not? And, I, you know, I, I know pastors that all three of us would know and everybody else is listening uh, that have been and attended same sex weddings and have not. And those who have attended would never perform one. I never would because it's outside of my theology, but they still went. And so my question to them is, how far are you willing to go to keep and build influence with your child? What would you be willing to do to keep and build influence with your child? What would you be willing to do to 
continue to be that person or to earn the right to be the phone call that they make or the text message they send when life comes crashing down around them. You know, I try to help people evaluate the kind of influence they want. And I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong answer with that, but mm-hmm. those are some other examples that I, that I do. Inside. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so if it's primarily an, an, an identity issue, how do you, uh, how have you seen those who are, I mean, we had, for example, we had uh, Todd, what's her name? Jackie Hill Perry. Yeah. Jackie Hill Perry. Gay Girl, Good God. Yeah. Great book. Amazing book. And it was fascinating to see her perspective uh, as a, um, I mean, she was a lesbian and and now she was married with children, uh, married, a, married a guy with children. And it was fascinating how she journeyed through that and, and how she worked through the, the identity issues that she did. Uh, but as you are working with churches, I mean, how do you, how should people approach their friends to begin having a conversation and begin helping their LGBTQ t- plus friends um, understand that it is an identity issue? The first thing I would do is I know this sounds counter, you know, intuitive and, and, you know, what somebody shouldn't do. But the first thing that I would do is I would forget the whole LGBTQ stuff. Okay. And I would just get to know them as a person mm. and I would build a relationship and I would do everything I could to invest in that relationship. And I would do everything I could to listen for signs of when they're starting to trust a little bit more, when they want to uh, talk about things like, for instance, you know, if they say things like uh, life isn't going well right now, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm not sure what's next. I didn't expect this to happen. Um, I didn't know that I would lose my family member here. I just lost my job. All these different things put people, I think, in, in an emotional uh, frame of mind where they come to us and we're able to um, listen and we're able to empathize and we're able to eventually tell them about Jesus. I mean, I think that's the first, you know, couple steps. Treat them like a person, invest in them, and look for the opportunities to start talking to them about Jesus. And then, you know, invite them to church and so on and so forth. I think you've got to start there. And the questions about, you know, uh, relationship choices, if somebody identifies as LGBTQ+, if that person begins to trust you, those things will naturally come up. I think one of the worst things we can do is to bring it up. Now that's different from church discipline or something, or if we have somebody that's a good friend that, you know, just had an affair or something, there's, you know, a relationship there. But with this individual, the best thing to do is to wait for them to bring it up. Cause as they trust you, as you earn credibility, they will bring it up. And that's when you can start talking to them about holy living and Jesus and all that. I think a lot of people worry about, um, they worry about being able to connect with 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 someone that is LGBTQ. They they just wonder what you know, like like how do I connect with them? What would you say is just caring for them? Is that one of the biggest things that they could do? I think just caring for them. If they're your neighbors, invite them over for dinner. Take them out. Get to know them like you would any other couple. 
I've had people say, well, I have young kids, you know, should I invite them over to my house? I'm like, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Well, I have young kids. And I said, and I usually will ask things like, does your child go to a public school? Yeah. They already know about it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they already see it, especially in LA unified school district. Um, in elementary school, it's, it's not something that's going to catch them by surprise. Well, I don't know if I want that in front of them. I'm, I'm like, okay, I understand that and I respect that. But what if you were to invite them, bring your child along to get to know them, and then leverage that opportunity afterwards as a teaching moment to talk to your child, not only about loving others, but talk to them about God's design and place for sexual intimacy, as he says in Genesis 2.24, or how God created us in Genesis 1.26 or 27. I think that um, treating them like we would anyone else, because they're people. Um, And I think that's important, and making those relational connections. And when they see that we treat them like people and not like projects, uh, when they see that we're not making an issue out of LGBTQ stuff and that we're valuing them, we're not trying to fix them or change them, you know, that's when the real relationship begins. And that's when we start seeing that investment. That's awesome, man. Thanks, Caleb, for spending time with us. If our listeners only knew how many times we've tried to interview you, (laughs) it's awesome. But man, thank you for your ministry, your leadership, the way that you, uh, your courage in speaking up, uh, sharing your story, uh, the story that you lived and, and the way that you are just um, just wanting to be a servant of our Lord and the way that you're serving and, and speaking out and, and caring for and loving all people. So thank you for your ministry, Caleb. Yeah, thank you. And, and I just want to echo Jackie Hill Perry's book is a great book. Um, we did a, a four part small group video curriculum for Messy Grace. And we had her on there in every episode. We had Sam Alberry on there in every, in every episode. We had myself and some other people. This was through City on a Hill. And just hearing her heart, hearing her story, uh, getting to know her that w- was awesome. I just think she is a tremendous gift. And I hope that her book sells out because it's amazing. Awesome. Thank you again, Caleb. What was fascinating to me about this episode Todd was not that you know Caleb did a lot of studying around ministry to the LGBTQ plus no, community this wasn't his but doctorate or dissertation no but his two moms it was the life dissertation <laughs> yes, it was yes that's a really good way of putting it so if there's a friend that uh, or even I mean send this to all your pastor friends who because everyone everyone regardless of Uh, where you live in the country or around the world. I mean, this is just more and more of a common instance where churches need to think about, theologically reflect on, okay, what does ministry to the LGBTQ plus community look like? Oh, totally. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for listening into the Five Leadership Questions podcast. Be sure to check out the network and our other podcasts by going to leadership.lifeway.com slash podcasts. We'll catch you next time.